This morning we look at one of Jesus' uh, challenging and encouraging parables. We've stated before that parables have some things in common. Number one, parables always teach us from the known to the unknown. Number two, one-third of all of our Savior's teachings were parables. Number three, Jesus' parables were all given either to solve a problem or to answer a question. And therefore, to understand what the parable is driving at, we need to look at the context that leads up to the individual parable to see what question was raised that was answered by the parable or what problem was raised that the parable answers or solves. And the last thing we've said together in these studies on parables is that we cannot make the error of superimposing our culture, our times, upon the parable that Jesus taught in a time in history and get a right interpretation. Rather, we get the right interpretation from the parable looking at Jesus' context of his life on earth, that time, and then we take the timeless principle out of the parable in light of that, and we, then we can apply it to our lives in, the, in 2019. So those things being said, we want to look at Jesus' parable of the persistent friend. It's found in Luke 11, verses 1 to 10. If you have your Bible, please turn in your Bible to Luke 10, 1, uh, Luke 11, pardon me, 1 to 10, or on your devices, electronic devices, go there to Luke 11, 1 to 10. Uh, the question that gave rise to this parable is very plain in Scripture. The question was being asked of Jesus, how do we pray? How do we pray? We see that in verse 1 of Luke 11, and it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. So right out of the gate, when we look at this parable together under Roman numeral 1, I want us to make a couple of observations about the Lord Jesus teaching on prayer. The first observation I want you to see with me is that the Lord Jesus Christ himself was praying when they came up with the question. They wanted to know how he would have them to pray because they were just watching him pray. They had seen him pray many times and they knew he knew something about prayer himself, so they asked him how should they pray. Second, they wondered how he would teach them to pray as they were disciples of his because they knew that John, as common to all rabbis. The rabbis taught their followers how to pray. John the Baptist had taught his followers how to pray, and they wanted to know if Jesus, their rabbi, had other lessons on prayer that were the same as John the Baptist's lessons on prayer, or did Jesus have lessons on prayer, expectations upon them on prayer that John didn't have for his disciples? Those are the two observations that we need to start with. And so the next thing we need to say that Jesus answered them, he gave them a sample prayer. Many times, commonly, it's called the Lord's Prayer. I hasten to say it's a prayer that Jesus never could have prayed, never would have prayed, and never could have prayed, because it has a line in it, forgive us our sin. Jesus had no sin. He was sinless. So this is not a prayer that Jesus himself prayed, but it was a teaching prayer. It was a prayer that was a skeleton, a template, a pattern for us to have when we pray. Uh, some churches, uh, not this particular church, but some churches pray the so-called Lord's Prayer every Sunday. I'm not criticizing them for that, but I don't see this as a ritualistic prayer. I see this as a pattern for prayer, a template for prayer, a skeleton upon which to hold and hang prayer petitions. So 
The Lord Jesus answered their question of how they ought to pray by giving them a sample prayer that they could pattern their prayers after. Verse two, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we for also forgive others who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. This was the disciples' prayer, I like to call it. Not the Lord's prayer, but the disciples' prayer. And the thing I want you to see with me to begin with is that the prayer Jesus put out as a pattern prayer talks to the Father first about the Father. The prayer talks about the Father about the Father. And it says in the part, hallowed be thy name. Set apart, holy, distinct, consecrated be your name, Heavenly Father. It was an act of worship to talk to the Father in prayer about the Father. Another little phrase in there that talks about uh, praying to the Father about the Father is the, the injunction, the petition, thy kingdom come. This part of this model prayer was saying that you have a program, you have a work you want to do, Heavenly Father, and we pray that you would do it. We pray that you would bring a theocratic, God-centered kingdom to earth. Thy kingdom come. The next thing I'd like us to see together that this sample prayer, this template or pattern prayer that Jesus gave begins with first talking to the Father about the Father, and then second in prayer, talking to the Father about ourselves. Talking to the Heavenly Father about ourselves. Verses uh, three and four, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus taught his disciples and us by extension that a good prayer starts to, by talking to the Heavenly Father about the Heavenly Father and then moving from that to talking to the Heavenly Father about ourselves. And specifically, some of the phrases in this model prayer, give us each day our daily bread. In other words, talk to God in prayer about our basic needs. Second, forgive us our sins. That is, talk on a regular basis in prayer about our ongoing failures to measure up to God. Uh, phrase, for we ourselves also forgive. Talk to the Heavenly Father about the reasonability of our responses to his forgiveness of us that we would forgive others that need forgiveness. And so we first, in Jesus' model prayer, disciples' prayer, pray to the Father about the Father, and second, we pray to the Father about ourselves. We personalize uh, our prayer to the Father. And those that ask Jesus about how they ought to pray learn from this, that they ought to talk to God the Father about the Father, and then they should finish off their prayers by talking to God the Father about themselves. This part of this model, Disciples' Prayer, is a teaching about proper prayer's content. The next part of this context, this passage, Jesus transitions seamlessly from teaching his disciples about content in prayer to teaching them about the frequency of prayer. When they asked Jesus how they should pray, Jesus started by answering the question with the content which they should pray, talk to the Father about the Father, talk to the Father about ourselves. And then he moved from the content of how they ought to pray to the frequency with which they should pray, the frequency with which they should pray. And if you look at verses 5 to 10, you'll see this parable of the persistent friend that Jesus chose to teach about how frequently we ought to pray, verses 5 to 10. And he said to them, 
Suppose one of you shall have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened." One of the lessons of this wonderful parable dealing with the frequency of prayer is that repetition in prayer until a need is met is not inappropriate to God, is not hollow or bothersome to God. Put another way, our Heavenly Father does not criticize our persistence in prayer. In fact, he commends it. Our Savior does not find fault with us persisting in prayer, but rather he advocates it. He suggests it. So that's Roman numeral one. Roman numeral two, let's talk about the background of this parable. The The social mores, the social expectations, the etiquette, the manners that were going in place when Jesus lived and ministered on earth. We need to have some insights into those things so we better can understand his parable teaching about persistence in prayer. Let me say on that vein that back in Jesus' day, nine times out of ten, number one, travelers only traveled in daylight. They avoided the safety risks of traveling at night. (laughs) In Nassau, we can relate to that, unfortunately. Number two... If travelers back then did not arrive at their destinations by sunset, they looked eagerly for a private home or if they had the money for an inn where they could safely sleep that night. Number three, back then the houses were all small, essentially one-room houses, and that room functioned as a kitchen, as a sitting room, as a dining room all by the day, and as a bedroom for the whole family at night. Number four, these small houses didn't have much space to store food. So therefore, food was purchased or it was harvested in small quantities, just enough for a day or perhaps two. Number five, hospitality back then was recognized to be a social obligation. If anyone either known to you or unknown to you, appeared at your door, hungry, thirsty, tired, then you were expected to have them in, to feed them, to give them something to drink, and to give them a spot to sleep if they needed it. And to do less back then, to do less was to fail. And failing enough times in the serious matter of hospitality could easily mean for you that you might not get the hospitality that you needed when you needed it. Roman numeral three, a preview of the parable. I want to preview with you verses five through eight. The situation that Jesus described in his parable 
to teach about the way to pray, the situation in Jesus' parable was that of a homeowner who was at home in his home when a friend he knew unexpectedly stopped by very late at night. It was obvious to the homeowner that his friend had been on a very long journey, and he was very hungry and extremely tired. But the thing, the hitch was, the homeowner had no food in his house at that particular time. How embarrassing. How socially awkward was that? Because the homeowner was not content to only offer a place to sleep without any offered food, he decided to take a risk. He decided to ask to borrow some food well after hours from a neighbor. He knew what he went after. He went after three loaves of bread. That's what he wanted. That's what he needed. Three loaves of bread. The man who was asked to provide the bread The man that the man needing bread went to to borrow bread, that man, he was annoyed and not at all interested in helping the man who needed the bread. In so many words, he told the guy at his door, you're going to Miami, get these things on my list and I'll give you the money later. The man with the sleeping family wanted the guy at his door begging for the bread just to go away, just to leave him alone. Just to ask some other neighbor, maybe, who was up late, maybe a night owl neighbor that was already awake. He wanted the man in need of the bread for hospitality to figure out something for himself, perhaps in the morning. Because after all, his family was sound asleep. They all would be awakened from asleep by lighting a lamp to look for the bread. The last thing this fellow wanted was crying babies to wake up in his home and annoyed grandparents and to be last three loaves of bread in the morning for breakfast. So using the game show language, he said, no, final answer. Staying with that language, the man knocking at the door and eating the bread said, I'll phone a friend, you, ten times. Ten times I'm going to ask you for the bread. Picking 10 as a number. You see, the man at the door didn't accept the no answer, and so he kept asking. Roman numeral four, let's talk about the teachings from the parable about how to pray. Probably the main lesson from the parable is that persistence overpowers reluctance. Persistence in prayer that night overpowered reluctance on the part of the man who had some bread to lend. The man who was looking for the bread for his tired and hungry house guests kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on asking to borrow the bread. And eventually, because the man at the door asked for the bread in a persistent way, he got all the bread he could use to feed his guests and his friends. I think there's something very important to see in verse 8. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up, watch now, and give him as much as he needs. I love that. 
and give him as much as he needs. This man, embarrassed that he didn't have food in his house for his friends and guests, didn't walk away from the reluctant giver of the bread with one loaf of bread. He didn't walk away from that exchange with two loaves of bread. He walked away from that exchange with three loaves of bread. I can just imagine it. In his mind, he did a little thinking. Okay, dad will eat that much bread, and mom might eat that much bread, and the two teenagers might eat that much bread, and the younger children, the four of them, they might eat that much bread. Let's see, three loaves of bread should be enough. That's why he went for three loaves of bread. And because of his persistence in prayer, persistence in asking, he came away with as much as he needed. I love that. You know, you've heard the expression, it's not what you know, it's who you know. That's what we have here, isn't that? What we have here is it's not because you asked me as a friend, it's because you didn't stop asking me. It wasn't that I know you as a friend and a neighbor that I give you the bread. I wasn't going to give you the bread, as a matter of fact, because my house is sleeping. But it's because you insisted and kept asking me for the bread. That's how you get the bread. The prayer for the bread was answered more because of persistence than friendship. It came down to repetition rather than relationship. In verse 8, the Greek word which is translated persistence carries some very interesting meanings. It carries the meaning of urgency, audacity, earnestness, boldness, relentlessness. That's how the man went to his neighbor looking for the bread he needed for his guests. When we do an autopsy on the persistence which was required to borrow the bread, we find out from the language of the New Testament that the persistence had a large component part of shamelessness. I mean, for you to be urgent, audacious, earnest, bold, and relentless, to some degree requires that you be shameless. Shameless. What is shameless? It means raw humility. It means being willing to be embarrassed. Seeing a need as being so valid and so great, you'll stick your neck out to do the hard thing, the awkward thing, the difficult thing, the inconvenient thing, shamelessness. I was born a Canadian. I acquired American citizenship. But I'll tell you, let you in on a little secret if you didn't know, that Canadians are not Americans. <laughs> and Canadians are glad not to be Americans. No offense. Canadians are, see themselves as being different than Americans and distinct from Americans. And what I'm going to tell you by way of an imaginary story is a little stereotypical, but you'll get the point. We Canadians laugh at ourselves about some of this. Can you imagine that there's a restaurant and a Canadian is at the restaurant, he's seated and he notices that in his drinking water there's a fly. It might go something like this. Oh, excuse me, so sorry to be any bother. There seems to be a fly in my water. I wasn't going to say anything, but since you're already at our table, if it isn't too much trouble, when you find enough time, may I please have a new water? (laughs) I won't ask you again because I know you're busy. Now, on the other hand, if an American has the same problem, it might go something like this. Waiter, look at this. A fly. can't believe this. I want a complimentary dessert, please. I ask that you check with your manager on this right away. 
Waiter, what did the manager say? Excuse me, please, when do I get my free dessert? Sir, what might that free dessert be? Please, I need to know right now. Well, sir, I really need to get back to my work. Can I take the dessert in a to-go box? Oh, one more thing. Do you see many flies in your drinks? I intend to write a review of your restaurant. I know that's general. (laughs) I know that's a broad brush. But I'll say in that illustration, the American is going to get a free dessert and the Canadian isn't. What makes a difference? Well, it's not that the American is family to the restaurant manager and the Canadian is not. What makes the difference is that the American persists in asking while the Canadian did not. In fact, (laughs) the Canadian didn't even think to ask for a free dessert. So I ask myself and I ask you, when we pray, are we more like the Canadian or the American? And at looking at this parable, I hope you can see that our Lord is perfectly okay with you being persistent and repetitious in your prayer requests of him. I hope that you can acknowledge, based on scripture, that God wants us to be persistent in praying to him, and he rewards us being persistent and praying to him. George Mueller is a name that many of us know. George Mueller was a huge man of faith and compassion. He ran an orphanage for children in Europe and was a great man of prayer. He was very hesitant to let anybody else know about what the orphanage needed, and he prayed to God and asked God to supply for the orphanage, and time and time and time again, God provided right on time. George Mueller had about 60 friends that needed Christ that he had on a list, and he prayed daily for each of these 60 persons to come to know the Lord Jesus as Savior. One week before Mueller's going to heaven, 50, by that point, 58 of the 60 had become Christians. During the last week of his life, he continued to pray for the two that were yet to be Christians. In the last week of George Mueller's life before dying, the 59th friend became a believer. And at George Mueller's funeral service, as the gospel was given, the 60th man trusted Christ at the funeral. God delights and expects us to pray with persistence, not to quit, not to give up, but to persist in prayer. Because persistence to God in prayer is a virtue. It's not an annoyance. It's not a bother. Virtue to God when we persist in praying. Verses 8 and 9 of the parable, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open to you. Oh yes, to God, it is a virtue when his children persist in prayer. And the sole reason why the man in the parable walked away from his neighbor with three loaves of bread was his persistence in asking for it. It was not the visitor's need of food which moved the awakened neighbor to give the bread. 
And it was not the friendship between the neighbors which caused the awakened man to share the bread. What it was was the persistent, repeated request for the bread, the don't take no for an answer request was granted. And the man carried the three loaves of bread back to his own house and shared it with his friends. As much as he needed, he was given as a reward for persistently asking. So I want to step back from this a little bit with you. What exactly caused the man to go to his neighbor well past bedtime to ask for bread? And what moved that man to do so so persistently? It's easy. He accurately sized up the need of his house guests. Like I said, okay, dad's apt to eat this, mom's apt to eat this, teenagers are apt to eat that, children are apt to eat that, and they probably haven't eaten since this time yesterday in their journey. And assessing that need accurately moved him, motivated him, got him into action to ask a neighbor to help. He put, you see, his guest's need for bread ahead of his own comfort zone. Was it risky to go to his neighbor by night? Yes. Was it embarrassing to admit that he had no food on hand? Probably. Was it uncomfortable to wake up his neighbor and his family from a dead sleep? Sure it was. Would it have been easier to tell the visitors that they would have to wait to eat until more bread could be baked in the morning? Seems logical. Did the awakened man's very unwelcoming way present the temptation for the man asking for the bread to give up asking? You want to believe it. But it was the visitor's need for the bread which fed the persistence in the man asking for the bread. Back in 2009, I kept a promise to our two children. I promised Joanna and JD previous to 2009 that we would take four-week trip to the Canadian Maritime Provinces, and we'd never done that. And so the church I was pastoring in Pennsylvania offered me graciously four weeks of vacation, and I asked if I could put them all together for one vacation to do this maritime Canadian trip I had promised to our children. They were very gracious, and that's what we did. So we visited New Brunswick and Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island. We never got to Newfoundland. But in PEI, Prince Edward Island, we were driving by the the, uh, sea, and I saw a beautiful uh, rural cemetery. With, with headstones and the sea in the background and these beautiful wildflowers in the cemetery. They were very high. They seemed to me like they were knee-high, all different beautiful colors. And so I said, hey, I want to get a picture of that cemetery. So to get the picture of the cemetery, I pulled off the main paved road and onto a switchback road that was muddy dirt road. And so when I went to the gate, I could see that um, it was locked to vehicular traffic. And the fence, I didn't feel like climbing over it, and so I clicked a few pictures further back than I wanted to be, and then I got behind the wheel, and Joanna, our daughter, had just gotten her driver's license. So you know how pride comes before a fall? (laughs) I got behind the wheel on this switchback mud road, and I put my arm over the minivan seat to look back, and I said, Joanna, this is how it really pays to know how to back up. And I backed (laughs) into a ditch that was deep. And I didn't go right in the ditch, but the whole minivan is on a slant like this, so much so that when I wanted to get out of the van, I was fearful that it would, my 
<laughs> change in the balance would knock the thing over on its roof in the ditch. <laughs> this is how it really pays to know how to back up. So I did something that was hard for me because, frankly, um, I'm not the kind of guy that it just naturally asks for help when I need it. I guess I have a pride problem that God's working on with me still. But I reluctantly, I knew I had no other choice, I reluctantly left my family in this perched van on the deep ditch lip, and I walked to find help. Didn't walk too far, and there was a, a dump truck at a construction site, and a man behind the wheel of his truck, and I said, excuse me, sir, I'm at the switchback mud road to the cemetery, I've almost parked my minivan in the deep ditch, and I'm just balancing on the lip of the ditch. Do you think you could please possibly help us? Oh, yes, sure. So he drove me to the van, and he hitched up some tow strap to my van, and he carefully pulled the van off the, the lip of the ditch, and I tried to offer him some money as my sincere thanks, and he was so uh, kind. He said, no, I won't take any money. You know why I went to the embarrassment of finding someone to help us? Because I knew there was no other way. I knew that my need was such that I couldn't meet my own need. <laughs> there was nothing I could do to draw myself out of that mess. And because there wasn't, I did the hard thing for me, at least, to admit that I'd messed up and ask someone for help. If you believe that Johnny will go to hell without Christ, then you persist in praying for Johnny's salvation. But if you somehow believe that Johnny without Christ won't go to hell, you won't pray for Johnny's salvation, or if you do, you quit early. If you believe that God does not will it for you to get a divorce, then you will persist in praying for God to heal your troubled marriage. But if you believe that God has no opinion about divorce and you're in a troubled marriage, you might not even pray about it. Or if you do pray, you'll be quick to quit praying. You see my point? Our, the degree to which we will persist in our prayers is directly proportional to the sense we have of our total inability to meet the need. The man with guests at his door at midnight knew he was totally incapable of giving them bread. And so he did the hard and awkward thing of asking someone else for the bread. The degree to which you and I will persist in praying is directly proportional to the sense of our total inability to meet that need. Most recently in our family, our son J.D. went off to college as an answer to prayer, as a miracle. First, that we knew about the college. We only heard about the college. It's the only college of its kind in America who the entire student body is battling some form of intellectual disability. Only college in America. 95 students. We only heard about this college because two persons from Racine, Wisconsin, came to visit Calvary Bible Church because Pastor Lee was their pastor years ago. I should say Best Daddy was the pastor of the very same church for 18 years before Pastor Lee. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, these visitors from Racine, Wisconsin, we met them 
on the patio up by Collins Avenue after church. We talked. They found out about our son's autism. And they said, have you ever heard of Shepherd's College? And so we started to look into it. Perfect place to teach career skills, life skills, financial skills, everything. But the price tag on that school was astronomical. So we persisted in prayer. If we had that money in our bank account, would we have prayed persistently? I don't think so. We didn't have that money in our bank account. And if he was going to go to college, God was going to have to supply the money. And he did. But we persisted in prayer. If it's your will, Lord, you know that you know what the cost. If it's your will, please supply for JD to go. The degree to which that we will persist in prayer is directly proportional to the sense of our total inability to meet that need. What are the needs that you know you're totally incapable of meeting? Keep persisting in prayer about that. Don't give up. The Lord will never tire of you talking with him about it. He'll never say, you again? About that again? Persist in prayer. Carrying on with some illustrations. If you had a hangnail, (laughs) if it was bad enough, you might pray about it once. But if you have cancer, God forbid, you will persist in praying to God about your cancer almost every waking moment of every day. The degree to which we will persist in our prayers is directly proportional to the degree to which we understand our inability to meet the need. I encourage you to persist in prayer. I want to wrap this up with five conclusion applications. Number one, persistent praying is polite. It's not demanding. It's not insistent. Look at verse 9. The words here are ask, seek, and knock. The words are not tell, demand, force. Persistent prayer is polite. Ask, seek, knock. Persistent praying is polite. Number two, persistent praying is birthed, as I've been teaching you, birthed out of our total inability to meet a legitimate need. I cited J.D.'s tuition. I could see the other examples in our marriage and family, but I won't take the time. Persistent praying is birthed out of our inability to meet a legitimate need. And so, therefore, persistent praying is desperate. Are you desperate? If you're desperate, you'll pray. If you're really desperate, you'll persistently pray. Number three, persistent praying is to a willing Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is not stingy. Our Heavenly Father is not disinterested. Our Heavenly Father is not impatient. Persistent praying is to a willing Heavenly Father. 
I love 1 Peter 3, 12. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you know Christ as your Savior, you've been made righteous with his righteousness, and you are righteous before a heavenly Father who is willing, and a heavenly Father has his figurative eyes on you as one who is righteous in Christ, and his ear figuratively is open to all your prayers. So we persist in praying to a willing and a loving heavenly Father. Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, pastors a Presbyterian church in New York City. And it's he who said, there's only one person who would dare to wake up a king at 3 a.m. in the morning to ask for a glass of water. The king's child. You are the king's child. Persistent prayer. He's willing. And so persistent praying is expectant. Number four, persistent praying is commanded. Verse nine, and I say to you, ask, that's command, and it shall be given to you. Seek a command, and it shall be, you will find. Knock a command, and it shall be opened to you. And in fact, those three commands to ask, to seek, and to knock are in the present tense, which means that what it is saying is that over and over God's saying, ask. Ask over and over again. Seek. Seek over and over again. Knock over and over again. And so persistent praying is really obedience. And fifth, persistent praying results in God's best answer. We've taught you before that in basic terms, there are three possible answers that God can give to our prayers. Yes, wait, and no. We don't know if it's a wait or a no until we wait long enough and pray and persist. Now, you may ask, does verse 10 teach name it, claim it prayers? You know, you name it in a prayer, God's obliged to give it to you. Just claim it in prayer by faith. Is that what it teaches? For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it shall be opened. This is not teaching name it, claim it praying. It's teaching name it, claim it praying if God is a vending machine. And if somehow we name it in faith, believing, then we have, we have the right to claim it. You know, you put two bucks in the Coke machine at the airport, and you get a Fanta, or the machine owes you a Fanta. That's not how God is. You know why? <laughs> because sometimes we think we're asking for something good for us, and it's bad. We think sometimes we're asking in prayer for something good for a person we love, but what we're asking for the person is not good. In fact, it's bad. And only God is a judge of that. I mean, if you asked a teenage boy what he wanted to eat, and if he were to ask you and keep asking you and keep asking you and keep asking you for only to feed him his favorite foods until he moved out from the house and had his own family, you know, I only want to eat Twinkies and donuts and pizza and hot dogs and cotton candy and ice cream and Fox mints and potato chips and sodas. 
He's naming it, but you're not going to let him claim it. Because <laughs> it's not good for him. It's trash food. You can name it, but you, he's not going to claim it because you love him too much. There are things that we are going to name in prayer, and we should, that we believe are good for us or others. But God in heaven is the final judge, and if he thinks that what we're asking for in sincerity is good, but it's bad, he's going to withhold it. Bless his name. <laughs> Commanded, 10, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Do you know what? The only way to receive is if the heavenly Father gives. And the Heavenly Father only is going to give if it's for the believer's good and God's glory. And the only way that a praying Christian finds is if the Heavenly Father reveals, and the Heavenly Father is only going to reveal if it's for the praying Christian's good and for God's own glory. And the only way that one finds something opened is if the Heavenly Father opens it, and the Heavenly Father only opens it if it's for the believer's good and for God's glory. And so we do not believe in name it, claim it praying. Instead, we believe in persistingly asking prayer, believing that God knows best. Persisting in prayer, but believing that God knows best. And so persistent praying in this vein accepts that God knows best. Final illustration. Well, not quite. Second, if you have epilepsy, and you ask, and you ask, and you ask your parents to buy you a car. They won't buy you a car, even if they could, because you can't get a driver's license. And they know that if you drive without a license and you have an epileptic seizure while you're driving, you could kill yourself, or you could kill other motorists or pedestrians. You're asking in that situation, you're seeking in that situation, and you're knocking in that situation, although sincere and persistent would have to be something which your parents in love would say, no, you think it's good, but we think it's bad. And so Jesus' parable of the persistent friend is not a teaching on name it, claim it, praying, but rather it's a teaching on persistent praying to a heavenly father who knows best and he'll do right. Before Beth and I were married, there was a time when she lived in the United States serving Christ in a church and I lived in Canada serving Christ in a church and unbeknownst to each other, we were praying basically the same prayer. Beth in the U.S. and me in Canada and the prayer was this. Father, if I am to marry, lead me to a godly mate that we together as marrieds can serve you better than I could as a single. We didn't know each other. But when we got talking afterwards, she was basically praying that in Michigan, and I was basically praying that in Ontario. What a great question Jesus' disciples asked him. And what a great answer Jesus gave. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
Teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from the inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot give up. Get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened, we pray. Father, we thank you for your open ear to our prayers. We thank you for your patience with our petitions. We thank you that you see us coming to you and coming to you and coming to you and asking for the best from you as a virtue. Thank you, Father. We confess as sin the times we have failed to pray, thinking I've got this one, or the times we have prayed only briefly and then quit to try to solve our problems without you. Make us to be a persistently praying church. For, Lord, it displays our trust in you and allows us to see you give the three loaves just as much as we need for whatever we ask of you that's in accordance with your will. We pray these things together. In Jesus' name, amen.